What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. Hi, I'm Angie. And I'm Haley. And this is What Brings You In Today, sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field. So tell me, what brings you in today? Welcome to October. With spooky season in full swing, we are taking a closer look at fear in medicine. In this episode, Dr. Helen Salisbury shares her essay titled, Reasons to be Fearful. She also talks with us about different sources of fear healthcare providers face, the many ways in which it presents itself, and what we can do to address it in ourselves and others. doctors take their work home with them, literally in the shape of emails to write and results to check, or figuratively in their heads. We worry about patients at risk and whether we've taken the right decisions. It's often exhausting, disrupting our sleep or intruding to our time off when we should be attending to friends and family. How do we develop the confidence that we're good enough doctors? We've been adequately trained and we've passed our exams and we make the best decisions we can with the available evidence. We know that continuing to worry once we've closed the surgery door can be a recipe for burnout. So how can we learn to let go? Experience helps. The longer you practice without major error, the more the fear recedes. But for some doctors, it never goes away. Is a solution to improve our personal resilience? Learn to relax and not be prey to anxiety? Would we all be better off after a few sessions of cognitive behaviour therapy and mindfulness? Some evidence shows that mindfulness training may reduce symptoms of burnout, but many doctors are sceptical that it's an adequate answer. Under ideal conditions, we may have confidence in our training and our decision-making, but what if we're in a rush? You know that you should have done a risk assessment for that patient with diabetes, hypertension, osteoarthritis and low mood, but you had a 10-minute appointment and a full waiting room. Would a more thorough examination of the patient with sciatica have been a better use of time than listening to the problems he has with painkillers and his struggle to keep his job? These are the consultations we revisit, questioning whether we we prioritise things correctly, hoping that we didn't miss anything dangerous and wondering if we did a good enough safe enough job. When we eventually leave work, 
we hand over to out-of-hours GPs, district nurses and emergency departments. For peace of mind, I need to be confident that a responsive service will be ready to spring into action if my patients do run into problems. Knowing that our emergency services are stretched to breaking point and sometimes beyond, it's getting harder to keep this faith that others will be, be there to pick up the pieces. Above all, we need confidence that we'll be supported if things do go wrong. While doing our best with the information and the resources available, we need to know that colleagues and professional bodies will support us. After the General Medical Council's handling of the Bawa Garba case, many doctors don't have such confidence. Although I enjoy my job and find many reasons to be cheerful, there are also reasons to be fearful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We are so excited to talk to you. We'll have you start by introducing yourself and your current role for our listeners. Hello. Yes, I'm Dr. Helen Salisbury. I'm a GP in the city of Oxford in England. And I've been working in the same practice now for 20 years. So I've known lots of my patients for quite a long time. I also do quite a lot of teaching of medical students and of junior doctors, and I write a regular column for the British Medical Journal, which that was one piece of. Wonderful. Today, we are talking about fear in medicine, and you know it's really common for patients to be afraid or nervous about going to the doctor, whether that is fear of the information they might get, fear of diagnostic or treatment procedures, or really just fear of the unknown. And something that gets talked about much less often is, as you mentioned, the fear that doctors themselves fear. And I really liked that that was something that you explored in your piece that you just shared with us. Can you tell us more about what the inspiration for writing that was? I think we probably spend too little time reflecting on our own emotions as clinicians and how they affect the way we work and how we are um, because we're not just automata we are affected by the things around us we're dealing with other people's emotions all the time we're dealing with joy sometimes but often with suffering with pain with death and with people's reactions to it, which are very strong. And I don't actually think any of us would want a doctor who was completely unmoved by the things around them. So we we will experience emotions. We do experience emotions. Um, and what we need to be able to do is acknowledge them to maintain control at the time so that it doesn't get it, they don't get in the way of us doing our medicine and being a support to our patients. Actually, I think a doctor who is in floods of tears and has completely lost it is probably not terribly helpful, <laughs> or indeed one who's so scared they've gone to hide in the toilets. So you, you've got to be in control of your emotions, but that doesn't mean not acknowledging they're there. Uh, and I think to pretend that they're not there is a, probably a way to, to, towards worse 
burnout. You know, we do have emotions. I think we need to talk about them so that we can learn how to manage them and so we can support other people in managing their emotions. Why fear? I mean, the title is partly because there's a really famous song, which is Reasons to be Cheerful. So Reasons to be Fearful kind of went well. But I actually think, particularly as a, as a junior doctor, people spend quite a lot of their time being really quite scared, quite scared about what might happen next. Medicine isn't always a really controlled environment. You go and do your shift in the emergency room and who knows what might come in? What will be demanded of you? Will you remember all the things you should be able to do? Will you, will you be found wanting? Will you, will you be adequate to, up to the task? And I think people, a lot of people are scared that they won't, they won't cut it. They won't make it. They'll make a mistake and something will go horribly wrong. Um, so I think it's worth talking about that and helping people, helping doctors to work through that fear so that they can feel supported or so that they can work so they're not scared. I think people are scared. Are medical students scared? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just natural. And I think if we stop feeling those emotions, maybe we should you know, think about our, our, our careers. But we also need to think very carefully about the support systems we can have so you don't actually need to be scared medical school students obviously of course feel scared at times and I was wondering for you uh, for someone who's far more ahead in their training than Haley and I how has your fear changed over time I mean to be honest I am not often fearful now because I'm not so often surprised it's not that I always know what's going on but I, I think one of the things that is a cause of a lot of fear is that if somebody else was here, they would be doing a better job than me. I'm lacking. And I guess it, maybe it's arrogance that comes from years of, 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 of practice. But I think the other thing that stops me being fearful is that I feel supported. I work in a really nice practice. I've got really nice colleagues in the room next door if something bad happens they're there and I know they've got my back and that makes a, a huge difference and I think if you're not confident of the support of your colleagues that's also makes it more scary I also think that um, there's an element of luck I've been fortunate enough so far not to have been caught up in any very difficult incidents or made mistakes with dire consequences and that helps your confidence when it hasn't been rocked and I think if things do go wrong it's very easy to stay to become fearful and stay fearful. Totally thinking about something you said where like gosh if someone else was here would they be doing it better and I think that for me as a med student working with lots of different doctors, you see folks do things differently. And I'm interested in going into pediatrics and something that we tell parents all the time is like, you know, there's lots of different ways to be a good parent and like, you don't have to do it exactly one way. And I think that, of course, like there are preferred 
and most effective treatment strategies. But there are lots of other things that doctors do besides just diagnose and treat. And so I think in that same vein, like there are lots of ways to be a good doctor and to take good care of their patients. And wondering not only like, would someone be doing this better, knowing that like, gosh, someone else might be doing this differently. And it's tough to know if that would be the better thing. And I feel like as a student, that is another piece of the uncertainty there. Absolutely. And I think the other thing I, I think I want to say about, about whether you need to be fearful is not just whether your colleagues have got your back and whether your way of doing it is as good as another person's way of doing it, but actually whether you have the resources to do a good job. Because sometimes, certainly in our system at the moment, there just aren't enough staff and there are lots of patients who need your attention and you're kind of going to make a mistake because there's no way you can do it all without that amount of pressure and that amount of time pressure and demand means that mistakes are very likely to happen and that in itself is is very stressful so that's a it's a kind of um one of the reasons to be fearful is is a system you know there's times when there clearly isn't enough resource to do the job properly definitely i'm curious if there are any moments from your career that stand out uh where you've experienced this sort of fear or uncertainty that you'd be willing to share with us? It's interesting. When people are scared, it can show itself in all sorts of different ways. Because some people, you know, are just obviously really scared. And some people, actually, it comes out as something else, as anger, for example. And I, there's (laughs) a long time ago now, I can remember I was working, um, I was doing a neurosurgery job, junior job, and I was working a long weekend. And in those days, I used to work from Friday morning through to Monday evening. And if you got some sleep, you got some sleep. If you didn't, you didn't. And you just did the work that needed to be done. It was about 7 p.m. on the Sunday evening. And my consultant told me that a patient had arrived who was due for surgery the next morning and was going to have think had a meningioma so gonna have a craniotomy some some brain surgery and would I go and see this patient so I went to see the patient I realized I was going to miss the canteen in doing this which didn't put me in a good mood to start with but I went to see the, the patient and discovered that they didn't actually speak any English and they didn't have anyone who spoke English with them and I don't speak any Greek which was the language that they spoke And I couldn't even read the labels on the tablets they were on because they were all in Greek as well. Uh, And after about, you know, three quarters of an hour of attempting this, I went to find my consultant and uh, and I actually shouted at him about how completely unreasonable it was to expect me to get a patient prepared for surgery the next morning. And lots of reasons to be cross. Uh, and eventually I banged my fist on the table and walked out of the room, which is not a good thing to do when you're a junior doctor. I'm not advocating that at all. But in retrospect and analysing it, there were lots of reasons for getting angry. One of them was 
feeling hard done by and one of them was being hungry and tired. But one main one was fear. I was really scared. I was really scared that this patient would go to surgery the next morning and I hadn't been able to do an adequate job. And maybe one of those tablets was warfarin and they would bleed all over the place. You know, it would be a disaster. The patient would come to harm and it would be my fault. And I was really scared. I can't actually remember what happened. I think probably the sensible thing happened was that that person didn't have an operation the next day. It was delayed until somebody who could do the job probably turned up to do it, who could speak the language. Um, but that was one of my, one of the things I most remember about being scared. Uh, and, and actually that for me, it expressed itself by being angry and out, slightly out of control. Yeah, that sounds very frightening, especially the part about being out of control. Like you said, there's only so much you can um, check off. And I think that definitely gives rise to a lot of fear. So now in your position, now how, how do you try to support other trainees who are going through the same kind of fear that you just described? Yes. I think it's good to, to talk about your own emotions. Yeah. I think you have to um, model to your trainees and your students that it's okay to have feelings. Yeah. You don't necessarily express them to the patients, but it, you know, at coffee time, it's okay to say, ah, I'm, I'm really worried about this patient because I'm worried that this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And, and, and I don't know whether I've done the right thing, which then lets them come and say the same things. So there's a kind of being able to share. Um, and actually, if you say, I've done this and this, and everybody else says, yeah, I would have probably done the same, then you can stop worrying about that one so much. I think there's also a thing about being available, and that's just physically available, that, that they can send you a message and come and talk to you about something, knock on your door, whatever, so that you're, you can be there to, to be supportive. And there's also about being, trying to just remember what it was like when you didn't know, when some things which are now just not a big deal at all were quite a big deal when you were younger. And so, so yeah, I, I just think we need to support each other by modelling and by listening. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most memorable times was when I was on my pediatric oncology rotation and we had a patient who passed away and our attending was openly crying in the team room. And I think by doing that and by sharing her emotions, she kind of set the standard that it's okay to have, it's okay to openly cry and talk about it, that it's it's a hard time. And and she invited, I think just inviting us all to to share in the grief with her made a big, big deal. Yes, and I I think there's a it's also an interesting question about a change in medicine from a entirely scientific older men in white coats image, uh, which is about medical facts and mm. scientific treatments and which actually have very little of the patient and themselves in it, or the doctor and their personal self in there. And actually, do we change to a different way of working 
that is seen very much more as an interaction, which as well as the science also has the personal in it. And that's us personally, as well as our patients personally. So you talked a little bit about like needing to be more willing to share these emotions with colleagues, with trainees, with other people in the space. And I'm wondering how often do you find yourself actually engaging in those sorts of discussions? And, you know, what does that look like? I think it, there's a kind of difference depending on the degree of uh, emotional content, if you see what I mean. Uh, so we try, um, in, my, in my surgery, we usually have about um, five doctors working each day and we try and meet um, with the students as well for coffee in the middle of the day. And we, we bring stuff to that. And some of the stuff we bring is just personal, what we've done on holiday or whatever. And some of it is, I saw this patient today and that consultation went really badly. And I don't think I got it right at all. And, and, and a sharing. I think if you got really upset by something, you'd probably talk to one of your colleagues one-to-one rather than in a whole group like that. So different things require different sort of settings. But I do think the the having a space which you know is going to happen most days and is is where you can bring stuff that didn't go right and, and talk about it is really helpful. This is kind of circling back to your piece, but you mentioned mm. the mm. Bawa Garba case. And if you feel oh, comfortable, mm. could you explain it for people who might not be familiar with it and also kind of what your thoughts are about what happened and the outcomes of the case? Yes. So uh, it's a little while ago, but basically this was a pediatric trainee. Um, so she hadn't, she wasn't yet a consultant. She was still junior and it was her first day back from maternity leave. And she was covering for another absent doctor as well. So there's a huge amount going on. And a child under her care died. It looks like there were probably some mistakes in medication, but there was also a mistake about a confusion between two children, one of whom was not for resuscitation um, and one of whom was. Now, I think it's fair to say that mistakes were made and some of them were this doctor's mistake however there were so many system reasons why mistakes were made in terms of workload and computer systems not working as they should uh, and lack of available information and this woman was sued for manslaughter negligence Okay, and was suspended by the sorry, gross negligence manslaughter is the phrase, and she was suspended by the General Medical Council, which is our the body that oversees um, and regulates doctors in the UK. Uh, and many people were very distressed by that because it appeared she didn't have the support of her. Um, her seniors at all there was a consultant who should have been involved and and she was really left on her own and there was a sense that something bad happened 
but it wasn't something she deliberately did. She made a mistake and she was very badly treated by both the hospital employing her and by the medical authorities. And some suggestion was made that had she been not a brown woman in a headscarf, she might have had, there might have been a different outcome to definite overtones or suspicions of sexism and racism in there as well. I think in in my uh, piece, I made a, a reference to it because we would like to think that if we're doing our absolute best with the resources we have available, we're trying our hardest and we're not, you know, doing anything bad deliberately we're not drunk on the job we're not negligent we're just you know but we make a mistake that we will be supported maybe we need more education maybe we need some some time out but that we won't be hung out to dry and a real feeling that she was hung out to dry by by the profession and certainly by the professional regulators it was a huge made a lot of noise in this country and eventually her suspension from the medical register was overturned and she's back working now which is great but at awful cost herself i mean it was awful it was absolutely awful obviously most awful for the family concerned who lost a child which is just ghastly but the response which was really we have to find someone to blame to take the blame for this death was was horrible and I think if you can't trust your bosses or the, you know, the establishment authorities that's meant to be regulating your profession to behave fairly, and many people felt after that that we couldn't trust them to behave fairly, then that's another reason to be fearful. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think that would make me very, or that story itself already gives me chills as someone who's not yet practicing in the field. So thank you for sharing that. I do want to pivot a little bit with this next question. Um, because, you know, we have talked about so far that it's important to share these feelings with colleagues, with trainees, with other people in the space, maybe not necessarily with the patient. Um, there is certainly something different about publishing a piece like this, even if it is in a journal that patients may not always be reading, that's a certainly much more public way to share this sentiment and to, to be vulnerable and to talk about this. And so I'm wondering what you have to say to folks who feel like, you know, doctors shouldn't be broadcasting this sort of fear or shouldn't be talking about it so publicly or shouldn't you know, be divulging that sort of thing in a journal article or on a podcast. What What is your response to, to those concerns? Well, I suppose there's, you know, who do you want for your doctors? <laughs> uh, do you just want supermen, superwomen out there? I mean, there just aren't enough people like that. Or, or maybe, yeah, we probably don't want people who are unlike all other people to be doctors. We are just people and we will be scared sometimes um that's kind of how it is should we always hide it i'm i'm not convinced i i mean i i think we should control it 
I think we should be able to do our job without letting our emotions get in the way. But I don't see what purpose is served by pretending we don't have emotions. Uh, but I also think, you know, if if actually one of the things you sometimes say is, I felt unsafe in this situation. I was scared harm would come to my patients because I couldn't do a good job. But admitting fear, and you're also using it for a purpose, which might be, and if we don't have more nurses on the next shift, I'm really scared something bad's going to happen. We need more resource to do this safely. So actually, I think about talking about our own fears, not just for ourselves, but for our patients, that something bad will happen. I mean, you could put it in more technical language, if you like. You don't have to talk about fear. But nevertheless, that, that is what you're experiencing. And I think it's, it's a, quite a good way of communicating, actually. I also, I think it's an interesting, you know, if my surgeon was never afraid of getting stuff wrong, I'm not sure I'd want them to operate on me. Fear isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. It possibly keeps you on your toes. It's a corrective. So you just don't want too much of it. Certainly. We've talked throughout this interview about different things on interpersonal levels, um, on systems levels, at the individual level that contribute to fear. Are there specific things that you would like to see going forward that could help either mitigate or, or make this sort of fear, this concern more manageable? I think it's probably useful to be a little bit more open and admit that we all do have feelings and there may be different stuff that each of us is worried about, scared about, fearful of. And it's okay to talk about. We probably can't afford to always avoid the things that we're we're scared of. We've got to a very interesting place in teaching where sometimes there's issues that students say, well, I find that really triggering. I, I don't want you to teach me about X or Y. And think, well, you're going to have to know about it. And your patients aren't going to come with a trigger warning. They're going to come with whatever they come with. So you have to get over that in some way. But that doesn't mean you can't talk about it. And in fact, talking about, about it may be the best way of overcoming it. Again, on the systems level, it would be really nice to think one could work in systems that are always adequately resourced so that you don't have to fear that although you could do a really good job for all the patients, you can't because there just isn't enough time. There's only one of you. And so some of your patients will not do well because you lack the resource. And that's kind of feels like a little battlefield medicine, isn't it? You've got, you've got a triage. You've got to decide, OK, who is my best bet to save? Because I can't do the best for everybody. And none of us want to be in that sort of situation in civilian life. I'm not in that situation on a day-to-day -day basis. But I know that our emergency departments are sometimes really very, very full. And you, they're thinking, you know, that person could have had a much less bad time if I'd got to them quicker. That's horrible. 
Yeah, that's really tough. Thinking about also some of our listeners, what advice would you have for medical students uh, at different training for ways to deal with this kind of fear, anxiety, both where they are and looking forward? I think it's probably the same as, as fear in lots of other walks of life. One is to talk about it with your colleagues and discover whether they feel the same as you about it. And I think the other thing is to try to do the things that you're scared of if you possibly can. If actually you're terrified, you're never going to be able to put a cannula in properly because you've tried twice and it went horribly wrong. And yeah, you're just avoiding every situation where you might have to do that. So if there are things that um, you're particularly scared of, so that you've kind of avoided going to the oncology clinic up to now, because that's something you, you, you find too worrying and you're scared you're going to lose control. Or, you know, if there's something that you're avoiding because you're scared of it, then you need to, to, to sit and think about how you're going to actually overcome that. Because in a medical career, we don't get to avoid the things we're, we're scared of. If you're going to be involved with patients, you're probably going to come across things that make you fearful. And you do have to work out how you're going to respond and find people who, who you trust enough to talk about that. Because it does make you feel quite vulnerable to say, I'm scared, I'm scared of this, oh dear, I don't think I want to do this. And I think there probably isn't a doctor alive who at some stage in their training didn't think, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this. This is just too hard. This is too scary. I don't know whether this is really whether I'm really cut out for this. Totally. I think that's really great advice. I wish I was better at following it. Uh, sometimes I'm able to succeed in like signing up for a rotation where it focuses on something that I really don't like doing or that I'm really nervous about doing. I find it's always very challenging to show up and start on like a nephrology service because you really don't understand how to care for people with like different sorts of kidney injuries. And the whole team thinks that you're there because you love kidneys. You have to be like, well, this is actually something that I'm not very confident in and I really need more practice in and I'm going to need a lot more support than you're probably anticipating. But I would really like to be enthusiastic about it by the time I leave. One of the things that we're fearful of, and most people spend most of their life being fearful of, is not death and suffering and pain and misery and a fatal mistake, but is feeling like an idiot, yeah? Making a fool of ourselves. So you'll open your mouth to ask a question, but it'll be such a basic question that everybody else will already knows the answer to that you will feel an idiot, so you don't say anything. So that fear of looking foolish follows most of us around most of our lives and if you can get rid of that then you really are in a winning position because actually if it's a question you don't know the answer to you know you're not the most stupid person in your in your student body there's other people who also don't know the answer to that question who will be really really grateful that you asked it and so you know actually deciding you don't mind if people think that that was a foolish question. You can handle it. 
then then you know if that if you can get that fear to go away you're definitely onto a winner totally i feel like thinking back to when we were in classes and i was getting to see my classmates ask questions much more frequently than i do these days i i find it was very unusual when someone would ask a question that i would think like gosh that was a stupid question usually almost every time i was like wow that's not a question that had occurred to me. I didn't know I didn't know that, which is a tough thing to remind yourself of when you're asking the question. Yeah. And and I think it's incredibly difficult to say to anybody, you don't need to be afraid. You can be more confident. But that is really your way forward if you can stop minding what the other people think of you and focus on okay I don't understand this I think I need to know it I really don't mind if people think I'm asking obvious things and I should have known that already it's kind of got away from the original fear that we were talking about (laughs) but I do think it's those sorts of fears that actually dominate lots of people's lives a lot of the time it's a fear of what other people will think Yeah, totally. And I think it's, as you were saying, distinct for sure, but under the same umbrella and definitely impacts our learning and our practices and our ability to take care of ourselves and others. Yeah, I think especially in medicine, um, at least in our system, in our medical school, we're evaluated a lot. So every rotation we get feedback from attendings and residents and there's a feeling sometimes that you're constantly being watched, even if you're doing an okay job. And I think having that feeling of someone's always looking over your shoulder, even if you're by yourself, you know, writing notes contributes to that fear of, oh, am I doing it good enough? Am I doing it the right way? And I think I'm not really quite sure how we can remedy that because that's just so integrated into our our education system is the evaluation and and part of that I know is necessary to make sure that you know we are not making mistakes that we are doing a good job I guess like you said scientifically but what about that emotional aspect too and that that kind of emotional safety of feeling like we can make mistakes and also be supported I also think that if some of your your bandwidth is taken up with worrying about what other people are thinking or whether you're being judged, who's looking over your shoulder, it actually impacts on your ability to do a good job because, you know, a bit of your brain's working hard about that and worrying about that rather than thinking, you know, what do I need to write here and have I done the right examination? Uh, And that's a a kind of culture question, isn't it, Um, within institutions? How does it feel like a a supportive culture, or are there reasons to be fearful within your institution? I think that's a really good question. Like there's reasons to be fearful in every institution that may be a little bit different how they look. In, indeed. And and I suppose it's we're also talking about the interactions as a doctor, your interactions with your patients and things going wrong, and will you get sued and will someone die or, you know, those sorts of things. But there's also all the interpersonal stuff and the stuff to do with hierarchy and career, which probably is taking a lot of emotional energy for, for many people. Well, 
We always end our interviews with the same sort of open-ended prompt where we just invite our guests to share any final thoughts or sentiments that they have that they want to leave our viewers with. So if you have anything you'd like to share, this is the space to do that. I think although I called my article reasons to be fearful, medicine at its best doesn't need to involve much fear on the part of the doctor. If you work in a good organisation with good colleagues and feel supported and know that there are other people who will pick up your mistakes if you make them, then with luck you can walk cheerfully through your career without too much fear. Dr. Salisbury's piece online in the British Medical Journal. We'll see you again in two weeks when we continue our exploration of fear with guest Alison Kofeld. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WBYIT underscore UWSMPH. 